Podcraft. Hi, welcome to Asheville Talk, a show about entrepreneurs, city influencers, and the fascinating people that make up the fiber of this town we call Asheville. I'm your host, Daniel Castillo, a local realtor with Dixon Pacifico Real Estate. Today, I'm sitting down with Kyle Brown. Kyle owns a really cool company, Clawhammer Supply, where they design and manufacture stills and have recently ventured into the brewing realm as well with one of the best home brewing kits that I've seen. This is something that's like professional grade in the sense of design and the equipment that you have available, but it's been simplified down to where you can have it, store it at home, and be able to brew with as little cleanup as necessary. Cool. Thanks for having me on your show, Dan. For sure. I really appreciate you coming in. So Kyle, tell us a little bit about Clawhammer Supply. Clawhammer, as you mentioned, is a business um, I design, manufacture, and sell direct to consumer distillation equipment and now home brewing equipment as well. I actually started the business when I was in um, here in Asheville. I moved to Asheville in 2006. I think I started around 2009. Uh, moved out to Colorado in 2000, end of 2011-ish, and that's actually when my business really started to take off. We doubled in size and then doubled again and then and double again, we experienced exponential growth there for a period of time. And um, that's actually where the business is located today. So my warehouse and all of my inventory, all of the shipping that happens in Colorado. Um, I just work as a remote marketing professional, I guess, here from Asheville. So was the business birth in Asheville or did that happen in Colorado? I got started here in Asheville. So you've been in Asheville twice, right? You were telling me beforehand that you came down, was it right before graduating? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was. I, I grew up in Ohio. I was, I was going to school up in Ohio. I was in grad school. And my last year of grad school, um, I happened to come down to Asheville for a spring break trip just to hang out with a friend who um, I knew from college. And um, I was down here for about a week, and I knew at that point I would be back. In fact, uh, just in the short time that I was here, I'd made plans essentially to move down to Asheville because I, I loved it here. So you moved down to Asheville, and then you started working within the environmental realm, correct? Correct, yeah. So I have um, an undergraduate and a graduate degree in environmental science. So when I moved to Asheville. Actually, when I moved here, I didn't, I had no plan. I just wanted to be here. I just knew it was a cool town. And in fact, when I was wrapping up grad school, my professors, my advisor, everybody was the department head was all, they were all asking me, so like, what are you doing? Where are you going? I said, I'm moving to Nashville. And they said, what, you know, what kind of job did you line up? And I said, I had nothing. I had no job, no prospects, <laughs> no nothing. I'd been sending out uh, resumes and filling out applications. And just, I started actually posting um, my denial letters on my little grad school cubicle as a, I don't know, as motivation, I guess, to keep going. Going because I've also been involved in sales. I've had sales jobs in the past. And there's, a, I guess, a philosophy that, you know, the more no's you get, the closer you are to a yes. Sure. So I was posting my denial letters, you know, thanks for applying, but we don't need you, et cetera, on my cubicle wall. So I didn't have a plan when I got here. When I, when I first moved to Asheville, I got a job as a carpenter, just sort of as a stopgap. So I worked for about a year as a carpenter and then um, landed a job with a, a company in town here, a really cool company, Home Energy Partners. 
they primarily was an insulation company, but they had an uh, environmental consulting branch, essentially. At that point, we're helping homeowners walk through the process of Energy Star and what was at that point called Healthy Built Homes certification. So if you're going to build a green home and you want to put a stamp on it, if you want somebody else to look at it and, and certify it and say, yes, this is a green home, we were the folks you would call to do that. And that's what I was doing when I first moved here. And you did that for how long? Um, I think I worked for Home Energy Partners for four years. And then throughout that process, that's where you started building Claw Hammer Supply and you guys started with stills, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So it, I was a home brewer. Um, I was interested in distilling and it was just, it just literally just started as a hobby. So my business at first was not a business. It was just something I was doing purely for fun. In fact, when I started my business, it was costing me money. Um, you know, it's just like mountain biking or any other hobby. You're just putting money into it. Yeah. Um, and I, I realized at some point that, um, hey, you know, there is a, actually a market for stills. Um, and that's what really what I enjoyed doing. I built a still with the intention of using it to distill uh, some, uh, some stuff. In fact, fun fact, Dan, it is not legal to distill your own alcohol for personal consumption anywhere in the United States, unless you have a uh, distiller's permit, a federal distiller's permit. Just for yourself privately, like I only want to... Uh, distill for myself and I'm only going to share it with some friends that come over or I'm not even going to share it with my friends, just myself. That's not legal. Can't do it. But it is legal to make the equipment. Yes and no. It depends. Every state has their own laws regarding distilling. So on the federal level, you can own any type of distill, any size of still. And as long as you're not using it to distill alcohol for consumption, you're fine. Um, state, that varies by state to state. Right, there are state and federal laws regarding that. So, um, but yeah, I, for the most part, you can have a still to distill water or to make fuel alcohol, um, but not not technically to make your own alcohol. And anyway, I guess the point was that I built a still, I distilled some stuff, and really, what I had fun doing was. I had, I had a lot more fun building the still than I did actually using the still. And I realized shortly um, after I got started that there was actually a market for stills. And I just sort of stumbled upon it and had so much fun building that first still that I built another and then built another and, and built another. And it's just sort of snowballed into a business. Very cool. Now, there's a lot of things that I really like about your business, not only like what it is that you're doing, uh, but how you're doing it and how it evolved. Because you started out with the stills and you were sending out like pre-assembled uh, stills starting out, right? Like you would weld everything together and send it out as one big unit. And one of your friends turned you on to the book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, right? And this is one of the things that I found actually like most fascinating about your business. And you slowly um, changed the model through campaigns and, and testing out if people were interested in building the stills themselves rather than having a full assembly. Right. right? And that, that was a big turning point for your business, was it not? Yeah, correct. So yeah, when I first started building the stills, I was or making stills, I was building them. They were, you know, I would send out a completely finished still. And um, that is not a for me, at least, was not a viable business model because copper is, is expensive. It takes a lot of time and, and work to build the still. And, you know, so that's money right there. And just the market just doesn't just doesn't really support very well, at least um, the price point that you would have to sell a still at. So a friend of mine who had a business of his own had been studying entrepreneurship and, and business strategies um, had suggested that um, instead of me sending out finished stills, or I guess had asked, you know, what if you just sent out parts? 
uh, instead of building the stills because my labor was more than half of the cost of the system. Do you think that would be a viable business model? And my initial response to that was no way. No way will people want to build their own stills, you know, with the parts that I send out. Um, just just me in my own box, you know. Um, I just said, no, well, it won't work. And he said, well, he was telling me about the four-hour work week. And he said, well, here's, here's a strategy from that book. They suggest that if you have an, an idea that you think may or may not work, what you can do is you can create a product, a, a fake product or a sample product, essentially, buy some AdWords traffic to that product on your site and, and sell it, right? And you're not actually selling it because the product doesn't exist, but it, it, theoretically it does exist. And if somebody goes on there and tries to buy the product, um, you don't take their money, obviously. But if they hit the you know, buy now button, it just redirects them to another page. It says, hey, this product actually is just in beta testing or this is, um, it's out of stock or whatever. Um, send us your email and we'll shoot you a line once it's finished. And by creating that product and driving some traffic to it, you actually get a sample um, of viewers and you can tell if something is going to be viable or not. Um, and to my, so I did it. I tried that. I, I tried, I did, I, I implemented that idea. Um, I was stunned to discover that people actually tried to buy that product on my site. And not only did they try to buy it, but it became the new business model. So fast forward now, gosh, that was like almost 10 years ago that, you know, I had this conversation with my buddy and we tried this and it was so 10 years ago, I said, no way will people buy this product, right? Now, 10 years later, I've built a business that has two locations, a handful of full-time employees. I mean, we have, you know, a 2,000 square foot warehouse packed to the brim with products that I thought nobody would ever buy, which is kind of funny. And now fast forwarding to where we are today, the business is evolving. You're in brewing kits now, right? right? which we're in Bear City, USA. So it kind of just makes sense that you would uh, end up there. And this kit is so cool because one person alone can make their, their batch of brew, their batch of beer, right? They don't really need any assistance. It comes with brackets and um, what is it? Return lines. So it's got its heating element. I guess the best way to describe the brewing system, I, I like to liken it to coffee, making coffee, right? So um, there are many ways to make coffee. Um, one would be, say, like an Keurig machine. And there are certainly systems out there, brewing systems out there that do that now. Um, another way to make coffee is in a French press. That's how I like to do it. And so our system is more like a French press. You're not just like putting a pot in and hitting a button. It's a French press where you're adding the ingredient in the amount that you want, your water at the temperature that you want, and you're letting it steep for the time that you want. But it's a, you know, a French press, like it's all you need to make a cup of coffee. Right. So our brewing system is all you need to make beer. And um, it's modular in the sense that you can add and subtract things that you want, but it's all there and you have, you have control over the, the, the process. So yeah, you can, you know, you make your own beer start to finish. You can make um, whatever, any kind of beer you want, stouts, IPAs, light lagers. Um, and the cool part about making your own beer is that um, you can make your own version of a perfect beer, whatever your perfect beer is, you can dial that in and, and make that for yourself. That's awesome. 
I hope that you're enjoying the show. Asheville Talk will be right back after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Lancaster Law Firm, a real estate law firm focused on high quality service and an elevated client experience. To learn more, visit LancasterLawFirm.com. And now back to the show. Now, you moved to Colorado, and then you moved back to Asheville, right? Now, when you were getting ready to leave Asheville, you, had, you mentioned you had bought some land. You kind of already had in your head that you were planning to, to come back to Asheville uh, before you even actually made the move out to Colorado, did you not? Yeah, correct. So I bought some land, I think, um, shortly after I got here, about a year and a half after I moved to Asheville. In West Asheville, I bought a lot. Um, with the intention of building a house on it. I just, it wasn't in the cards for me to build a house at that point. I just didn't have the, the, the finances to do it. Um, so I held on to the lot. Um, as you mentioned, I moved out to Colorado in 20, at the end of 2011, um, chasing a girl actually. Locked that down, <laughs> we got married. Uh, and I had this lot here in Asheville. And when I bought the lot in West, uh, West Asheville, was it was a cool place to live, but there was it wasn't like it is today. Right. Yeah, it's changed a lot. It had changed tremendously in the four years since I had left. So tell us a little bit about like what you like so much about Asheville, and and what brought you back from from Colorado? Because Colorado is very much a destination type of either for visitors or for people that want to move there. Mm-hmm. which Asheville is turning into that as well, or has already turned into that. But, but what right. did you connect with, with Asheville that made you want to come back? Well, initially, um, I, I love the, um, the music scene and the um, access to outdoor activities. Those are my two favorite um, aspects of this, this town. And still today are the, my two favorite things about Asheville. And when I moved out to Colorado, I, I was in Fort Collins. It's a very nice place. In fact, it's bigger than Asheville. I believe there are more people there, huge university there. Um, but it has a big, it feels like a very large, small town, if that makes any sense. It's like a large farm town where Asheville feels like a small city. Um, so, you know, you have the things and there are just things that exist in cities that don't exist in farm towns. That's just, you know, a fact like there in Asheville, there's an amazing art scene. Um, like I said, the music scene is just amazing. In fact, I just saw the um, Flaming Lips, an amazing band. They play at Bonnaroo and at Coachella. I mean, they headline the biggest festivals across the country. And then they played at the Orange Peel downtown, which is a five-minute drive from my house, an Uber ride from my house. And what, there were maybe that venue has to hold only a 1,000 people, if that even? Maybe a little bit more, but I, I'd be hard-pressed to put them, like, beyond 2,000. I'd be like, I'd Oh, be yeah, there's no it. way 2,000 people. So it's a tiny venue. I just, I never thought that I would see a band like that in that type of venue. And that, that experience, I've had that experience so many times in this town. I can't believe I've seen, I'm seeing this band in this setting. So, yeah, I just, I love the music scene here. And really what brought me back was, you know, um, I, ha- I had the lot here. I had the land here in Asheville and we were ready to, we were finally ready to build a house. So, um, yeah, the, I mean, it just made sense to, to build the house on the land that I already owned. And I really just love this city. Right. And so here you are today, you're back in Asheville, you have your wife, April, which she works in within, she had her master's in within, uh, environmental science as well. And she worked within that realm. You guys came back, she started, you know, wanting to build a career within that again. And then now she's working with the city. Is that not correct? 
Yeah, don't press me on this too much because she just got this job. This is and this is brand new for her. It's it's new to me as well. But she works for the Chamber of Commerce in um, economic development. So you have Clawhammer Supply, right? Your wife uh, has an environmental science background, but works for the Chamber of Commerce, correct? Uh, in economic development. You've got your son Boone, right? Right. That's a pretty like. Like if you're sharing that information about somebody to another group of people, that sounds pretty cool. But what I love about this town is like, you're one of many people like that here, right? Now, has that played an influence in the way that either you've grown personally, your business or anything like that at all, being able to rub shoulders with other fascinating groups of people that also live here in town? Well, what I enjoy um, the most, obviously being a small business owner and, and also, you know, I don't have a brick and mortar store. I sell online. So I sell direct to consumer online. What I like about this town is there are a, a handful of people. There are a number of other people in this town who have businesses like that, that I know personally. And I love, in fact, just two nights ago, I went to a networking group called uh, brains over beer. Okay. So my buddy um, Boomer has a networking group. He just invites entrepreneurs to come drink beers and talk about business, essentially. And yeah, there are several people in that group who own online businesses, and we just sit around and talk about you know what we've been doing, what works for us, um, what's you know what's working for other people, and we bounce ideas around. And um, yeah, it's great. It's a it's a it's a great tool. And yeah, you don't find people like that everywhere. Sure. Now, did you see yourself staying here? Oh, I'm here for good. You're here for good. Yeah. Right? Now, so if you had to point out something like, it doesn't have to be one thing, but just a little rundown, like what are some of your favorite things about town? Um, yeah, again, uh, hands down, my, the, my favorite thing about Asheville is the music scene. Okay. Um, I just, I've lived several places, I mean, I've lived in a lot, several cool cities and um, the music scene here, I just, I, it's hard to beat, you know? I just don't see another place where you could where you can that beats it i guess um yeah and again the, the hiking um mountain biking is great um i've really gotten into road biking over the last several years and there are just some incredible views and awesome roads to ride on um just right outside of town um those the food you know i'm a food you know a, a foodie i'm a foodie so the food is incredible we have and i don't want to quote the number but uh if we're not over 500 i know we're close to it uh close to 500 independently owned restaurants here in town. Yeah, that's crazy. Which is mind blowing because plenty of times, like I can't, I can't figure out where I want to go. I, I keep thinking about the same places, but it's, it's so overwhelming how many re restaurants we have here that we even forget to, to like seek out new ones. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then obviously I sell brewing equipment. So I'm a, obviously a beer drinker. So I love the beer scene. Um, in fact, one of the, my favorite new places in town is the white labs, uh, I guess they're a brewery now, but White Labs um, is one of the largest, if not the largest uh, commercial producer of yeast, brewing yeast in the country. In fact, I want to say they're the largest and they have two locations. They have one and their uh, headquarters is in San Diego. They've opened now a satellite office here in Asheville and um, such a cool place. Um, they, they do this thing. They will make, they make one, beer, essentially one batch of wort it's called, and then they'll pitch four different kinds of yeast in, in the wort. And they make four different beers, but the, the base recipe is the same. The only difference is the yeast. And you can buy flights of, you know, with four different beers, which are the, again, the same beer with four different types of yeast in them. And it's incredible how different the beers turn out by just changing the yeast. 
Um, I could go on about White Labs for a long time, but if you're a beer drinker and you stop in Asheville, that's like, that has to be on your list, checking that place out. Oh yeah, I've been there a couple of times. Just went back last weekend or last week uh, and got to try some of the beers that they've actually been brewing because the first time that I went there, they they weren't quite brewing just yet, uh, which, yeah, the, the stuff there is is really good. I'm, I'm not going to say surprising because everywhere you go, you're going to find, for the most part, pretty darn good, if not amazing beer. Uh, but yeah, it was still a pleasant surprise. Um, so we're going to be bringing this to a close, though. But before we shut this down, I want you to share like what comes to mind is what's been one of the most unique experiences that you've had since you've lived in town man i hate i hate i just keep coming back to the music yeah. <laughs> and i've already mentioned this here but so i've, I've recently gotten into a band uh, called electric guest over the last couple of years i've sort of been following along with, with those guys and if you're a music person um you might be familiar with danger mouse he's a producer right so i was browsing his wikipedia page because i just love everything this guy does and i i saw that he'd been working with a new band called electric guest so i looked their album up and i loved it absolutely loved the album there's next album dropped i loved it as well and at one point late in the fall of this year last year i guess um, I was looking at this band, right, looking at their tour schedule, and they were playing all over the place, but nowhere near North Carolina. And I literally said to my wife, April, this band is awesome. I love them. She likes them as well. I said, we should like fly somewhere and see these guys. They're not going to be playing here, but we should go check them out somewhere. And we didn't end up doing it. We just The idea just got kind of kind of fell through the cracks. And randomly, I'm browsing uh, the club scene in the Mountain Express, and I see that at the Great Eagle, which is a tiny little venue in West Asheville, that this band, Electric Guest, is playing, and it's like a $12 show. You know, I literally was a couple months prior about to buy a plane ticket to go fly somewhere to see these guys play. And lo and behold, they show up at the Great Eagle, which is, I don't know, maybe a 10-minute walk from my house, and the ticket was $12. So, um, yeah, back to the music scene, but that was that was a cool experience. Awesome. Well, Kyle, I really appreciate you coming on to the show today, and I also appreciate for you just being you and being a contribution to continuing to keep the town unique and special of the way that it is. Like, it, it's people like you that really make this town what it is. It helps mold the experience that we have, and it also helps fuel keeping things moving in that direction. So I'm glad that you're, you're a part of the community, and I appreciate you coming on to the Great. show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Asheville Talk. If you'd like to learn more about the show, you can find us on Facebook at Asheville Talk. If you or someone you know would like to be featured on the show, send me a note. You can email me, daniel at dixonpacifica.com. Again, daniel at dixonpacifica, all one word, dot com. I look forward to hearing from you and see you next time. Asheville Talk's theme music is Return of Jafar, courtesy of Natural Born Leaders from Asheville, North Carolina. Visit them at naturalbornleadersband.com. Asheville Talk is produced by Podcraft. Create a great podcast at podcraft.us.